Well, this morning I want to read our text before us, the next two stanzas of this psalm. And then we're going to do a little bit of review. And then we're going to look at some characteristics of the Word of God, yet again from the psalmist David. And so people of God, hear the Word of God as we read verses 129 through 144. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well trod and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, about eight weeks ago, two months ago, as we started our journey through this psalm, I mentioned that this is the longest psalm within the Psalter, and that this is the longest chapter within all of our Bibles. And actually, it is Hebrew poetry at its best. You might say that this is majestic Hebrew poetry. Because what the psalmist David does is he takes the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and he takes each of those letters, all 22 of them, and he begins to acrostically write out characteristics, commands, requirements of the Word of God and how it impacts, applies to his daily life. And what he means to do here is that he wants you to see that he is exhaustive in his love and appreciation for his Bible, for what the Lord has given to him, this special revelation of who God is, what he has required for us to do. And so you actually look at your English translation here, and we're on the two letters of pay and sade. And then you notice that uh, there are eight verses, 129 through 136, and then 137 through 144 in these two stanzas. And so what we have is 176 verses speaking of the nature, showing us the love, the adoration, the praise in which David has for the Word of God. And it's it's not really shown to you in the English text. But if we were just to look at the Hebrew text, even if you didn't know any Hebrew at all, I could show you how each of these stanzas start with Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey. Very strategically 
the, the psalmist is trying to help you understand that not only is our love exhaustive for the Word of God, but actually the Word is exhaustive in its usage. That the way that we can use and apply and be guided by the Word is exhaustive in and of itself. And even we talked about last week in verses 105 and 106, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then I have sworn that I will keep your righteous rules. And so even within, within those two verses, we see something of the themes that exist here within Psalm 119. We see that the psalmist says that your word is a light. That your word gives light unto my path, that there's a usage. So not only is there a characteristic, but then there's a usage of the Word, but also a requirement of the Word, that I must keep your righteous rules. And and really, that is strictly logical. That, That is a progression from stanza to stanza where these themes seemingly continue to repeat themselves, and we love the characteristics of the Word. We, we love to talk about the holiness of the Word and, and the righteousness of the Word. We, we love to even talk about the special revelation that is the Word that God speaks especially to us as His people. And we even love to hear about the usage, don't we? That the Lord would be so gracious to us to, to teach us how to live, to, to show us the ways that we are to walk. But then, when we get to the requirements of the Word, we get a little hesitant to embrace them as we ought. And so let me tell you something that has happened throughout history. Commentators throughout church history have used this psalm in many different ways to show you the characteristics of the Word, the usage of the Word, and the requirements of the Word. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist pastor in his Treasury of David, His commentary through the whole Psalter writes 400 pages on this one psalm. The Puritan Thomas Manton, he writes three volumes on this psalm, roughly about 1,200 pages. James Montgomery Boyce writes about 150 pages, 160 pages, 14 chapters of his commentary on the psalms. But they all, every single one of them, want us to see not only the characteristics, not only the usage of our Bibles, but also the requirements in which the Bible lays forth for us to take covenant with the Lord, to make an oath with the Lord that not only will we hear the Word of God, but we will also apply it, that we'll also obey it. And so, What we see here this morning is really some declarations, continued declarations of what the Bible is, what the Word of God is in these verses. But let us not miss that the Word of God actually requires commands for us to obey it, to use it for our daily living. And so if you look just back at verse 129, you see the first thing that I want to point out to you in those first two words. The testimonies that the psalmist David declares that are so wonderful that his soul keeps are 
are simply your. Notice how he writes that. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. He's acknowledging very quickly here in verse 129 that these are the testimonies. This is the law. This is the Word of His God. You know, one of the things that I think is so helpful in the children's catechism that we teach our kiddos on Wednesday nights is that it very clearly distinguishes that we have 66 books in our Bibles, no more, no less, and what is this Word of God? What are the Scriptures? They are God's Word. That they don't come to us by human authors, even though human authors pen them, but they were driven by the Holy Spirit so that they wrote the very words of God. Paul says to his beloved Timothy that the Word of God is literally God-breathed, we would say. So just as I am breathing these words of this sermon out to you, proclaiming the beauties and the characteristics of the Scriptures, so the Scriptures, our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, all of the verses, all of the words, these are perfectly inspired, authoritative words of God. And the psalmist wants us to understand that. He has shown us this time and and time again throughout this entirety of the psalm. But here in verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful. That's the characteristic. They're God's words. But notice the requirement. Therefore, my soul keeps them. In fact, if you look down just a few verses as we think about this theme of God's Word, you see that the psalmist says or actually prays to keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Now again, if you've been paying careful attention to our time in this psalm, you'll notice that these steadying of steps or or walking in the way, that seems to be a prevailing characteristic of the usage of God's Word. As he's talking about the, the characteristic of God's Word, that it is God's, he continues to say, by it we ought to walk. That it teaches us how to walk. It keeps our steps steady and secure. David continues to talk about this walking in the law of the Lord is somewhat of a metaphor for the activities of of daily living. He's saying from morning until evening I walk in the paths of your righteousness. From day one of my life to the very day that it concludes, the, the person of God, the Christian, will walk in the way of blessing. And you remember all the way back at verse 1. Of this very psalm, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. It's this daily trotting. It's this daily trotting in obedience to Jesus as He has revealed to us not only Himself, but our response to Him. And if we can be candid with one another we, we need to kind of honestly evaluate ourselves, I think, because this is a problem. I, I love being in the deep south Bible Belt. 
But the problem with the Deep South Bible Belt is a lot of people give lip service to loving the Word of God, don't they? They give lip service to following Jesus. They give lip service to Christianity, but we find that it's very nominal in and of itself, that the lip service is just really a a flapping of the lips. Then there's no daily activity or daily submission or daily meditation to the Word of God. But you see, don't you, that, that the way that our steps are steadied, the way that we find blessing, according to this psalm, is not just some lip service to the Word. It's not in any sort of nominal Christianity. It's in a deep, humble reliance and obedience upon the Scriptures. And this is echoed for us in Psalm 1. At the very beginning of our Psalter, if you'll just flip there, if you still have your Bibles open, I want to read the first two verses of that psalm. Because Psalm 1 reiterates these promises, these blessings in which God has promised for those who walk according to the commandments of God. That first stanza there in Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Do you see what the the psalmist does there? Do you you see what the psalmist David is doing there in Psalm 119? He's saying that it's not just a casual acquaintance with our Bibles. It's not just getting it off the shelf when we're experiencing some sort of suffering and reading a few verses and then putting it back on the shelf, as we so often do. But this is is a, a, a communion with the Lord. That, that seeks out to hear from Him as He speaks to us through His Word, and then we speak back to Him through prayer. It's, it's, to be, it's to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's to be to us better or sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb and more treasured than all the riches that the world has to offer. And so, here's the requirement. That this is God's Word and the requirement is to delight in it. To walk in it. To understand that not only are are Bibles God's Word, but that they are right. That's the second thing I want to point out. It's there in verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Now, the psalmist David is, is playing with another theme that's existed throughout all of this psalm that the Word of God carries with it the same characteristics of God. God is holy. We have a holy Bible. God is righteous, as the psalmist David says here, and God's Word is right, which means that God's Word is certain, that God's Word is dependable, that God's Word is correct, that God's Word is accurate. All of that is falling under the umbrella of this assertion that the Scripture is right, that the Scriptures are true. And this is noticeable. This is noticeable throughout all the psalm. You think about verse 41. That was there in the stanza of Vav. 
Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Here it is. The psalmist is comparing the the words of the world. And he's saying all of these words from the world, all of these taunts in which the unbelievers speak against me, they are nothing, for my trust is solely in your word. They speak lies, they spew venom, but my hope is in your word that is true, that is steadfast that has come to me even through special revelation that God literally speaks to His people. And so, if you look back at verse 142 of our text, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Notice what He's doing yet again. Taking the very characteristics of God and applying them to the Scriptures. And what we need to see here is not only all 66 books of our Bibles, not only are they the words of God, but they are true and they are right. They are for us. They are correct. They are honest. They are dependable even. That's one of the the beauties of what the psalmist is doing here in our selected text because not only does he say that they are right, But he also says that they are faithful. 138, you have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. He he begins to to pour out again. And it it, actually in the Hebrew, it's very close to the same word. What the Hebrew language loves to do is it loves to take two words and kind of smash them together. Kind of like y'all. I mean, we do that in the South, don't we? Uh, we? We smash these two words together and kind of create our own word. The, the Hebrew language does that as well. And it, and it smashes these two words together that is translated as, as faithful. It's right, it's steady, it's dependable. It's faithful. And, and, and constantly throughout the Gospel, we're reminded that our, that our God is faithful, Right? That despite the ups and downs of the Christian life, despite the the fiery trials and the greatest of rejoicings, that God is faithful. We'll sing here in just a few minutes the Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anything. Because He provides it, right? He is faithful in the valley of the shadow of death. He is faithful in the presence of my very enemies. He has proved Himself to be faithful time and time And time again, many of y'all have witnessed this. And the psalmist is saying, not only is our God faithful, but His commandments are faithful. His Word is faithful. I love the language of verse 140. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. What in the world is David saying here when he talks about the promises of God being well trod? He says, I have leaned upon them time and time again. I have found myself clinging to the promises of God. I have found myself pleading back to God His very own promises. And the psalmist David so graciously gives us a 
gives us an illustration, an example of this in, in verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servant. A good Bible reader will be captivated by that phrase because their mind will go to Numbers chapter 6. And what happens in Numbers chapter 6? Well, Aaron, the great high priest of God's people, there with the Israelites, is told to lift up his hands and to pronounce a blessing upon the people of God, saying, this is not a prayer that the Lord will bless you. No, this is the Lord speaking through His servant a word of blessing. And what does He say? May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And the psalmist David here is pleading. He's pleading the promises of God back to him. And he's saying, Lord, You told me that Your face would shine upon me. And now I'm asking for Your face to shine upon me. That's what we do in prayer. And why do we do that in prayers? Because he's proved himself to be faithful. The, the reason in which David is spurred on to pray that prayer in Psalm 135 is because he, is, he has felt the warmth of God's smile. He has felt the warmth of God's shining face upon him in the past. And he has leaned into that. And now he's leaning into it again. Your promises are well tried, he says. Therefore, your servant loves it. You know, we love a faithful friend. We, we love a faithful friend who will walk with us in this world. Who will speak truth to us. Who will keep us company. Who will listen. And, and yet, what the psalmist David is, is, is causing you to do is, is to help you realize that that the most faithful friend that you might have is Christ as He is presented in the Gospel. As He is held forth in your Bible and you can hear Him speak and you can speak back to Him. And He is a genuine anchor for the soul. A cornerstone in which we might build because His promises are well tried. His promises are right and faithful. His Word is dependable and true. And last but not least, they are holy. They are righteous. This has already been said, but it's a theme that keeps repeating itself. You look at verse 137. Righteous are You, O Lord, and right are Your rules. Look at that verse again. Because he's taking, again, remember, he's taking the characteristics of God and he's applying them to the Scriptures. And he's saying, just as our God is holy, just as our God is perfect, just as our God is righteous, so is His Word. Therefore, your motivation to come to Him as He has presented Himself to us in our Bibles is to remember those very things. That there's never a time that we come to God's Word and it lies to us. There's never a time in God's Word that it doesn't confront our sin. Never a time do we come to God's Word and it doesn't show us our duty to God and our duty to man. Never in our time in God's Word does it not hold out Jesus Christ to us, the Savior of sinners. And that's what's so beautiful 
about the Scriptures, that it speaks to us in every situation. It, it speaks to our greatest need, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And it's never led us astray. And it's never left us nor forsaken us. It has always proved to be righteous. It's always proved to be true. It's always proved to be dependable and faithful. And so we must come to it. We must come to it longing for our God to speak. Longing for our God to guide us by His Word. Longing to obey it. For right hearing leads to obedience, doesn't it? And we must always come to it asking that the Lord would show us Christ. Because here it is that that Christ is, is held out to us. And just as the Word is righteous, so was our Jesus that is presented to us in the Gospel. But through His mercy, He was crucified and then risen. And He has forgiven us of all sins so that we might be assured of our salvation. But just like the Word, the Gospel demands a requirement as well. It demands for us to live to His glory and His glory alone. How do we know in the ways that we are to live vertically? The only way that we know how to receive a holy God is our Heavenly Father is by the Word. How are we to know how to love one another on a horizontal plane? Well, the Word teaches us that as well. Our duty to God and our duty to man. And therefore, we ask the question, asking you to search your own souls, what are you doing with your Bibles? What are you doing with this true, faithful, unchanging, and righteous Word of God? What role does it have in your life? What respect do you have for its holy excellence? This book that we have in our Bibles is not just a book. It's the book amongst books. It's unique in every way. And it is the way that the Lord Jesus reveals His love and affection to sinners. In our Lord and Savior, it shows us the way in which it commands for us to walk. And so do we delight in the Word? And if we will delight in this life-giving Word, you look at verse 144, we will live forever with Him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to this, your word, and we pray, Lord, that it would convict us where it ought to convict us, that it would encourage us where it ought to encourage us, and that we would live by it. Father, we do ask that it would uphold to us Christ Jesus and that it would spur us on to live out the gospel. Not only do we turn to our words to know your words, to know uh, our Savior, but we also turn to your word to know how to live for our Savior. And so let us pay careful attention to it, diligently hearing, diligently obeying for your glory and the fame of your name. We ask these things. Amen.